Well, after the 930 service, an 11-year-old girl walked up to me and she said, Mr. Green, that was a great sermon. And don't worry, she's going to be the only one today who thinks that. <laughs> you'll, you'll hear me in a second. You'll know what I mean. Hey, years ago, many years ago, I uh, was halfway around the world um, on a mission trip. The mission trip had wrapped up and we flew back. The longest leg of our flight home was a 17-hour leg of which I did not sleep. I wanted to sleep. I attempted to sleep. I tried it. I couldn't do it. I'm sure there's some spiritual lesson behind that all, but I just couldn't. I couldn't get to sleep. And so we had landed in the U.S. of A., and I still had a four-hour flight to my home destination. And so I prayed a prayer. You, you guys ever pray a prayer where, you know, like, you know, it's one of those prayers that kind of is probably in the selfish category, and especially in light of what I had seen and tasted and felt over in another part of the world. But I prayed, Lord, uh, if it's your will, and I prayed that it is, I'll pray that I'd be able to get some sleep on this flight. And I prayed specifically, uh, I do believe God honors specific prayers. I prayed specifically for a window seat because I think that was my problem on the 17-hour leg. And I prayed for that. And in the airport, um, no sooner than I thought the thought and prayed the prayer, the gate agent called me up and gave me 21A, a window seat. How cool is that? So I boarded the flight. I nestled up to the window hoping to crash, uh, not crash, but but sleep. And and And... In no time, a man tapped me. You know the tap, the tap you get on a flight. It's hardly ever a good tap. And I got the tap, and the man next to me um, said, Hey, my friend, my buddy is over on that aisle. We've been traveling together, and he would love, I would love for him to sit next to me. Would you mind trading uh, with him? And I looked over, y'all, and just began to weep because he was in the middle seat where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And the guy knew that I was struggling to make this sacrifice. He said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll give you $100 if you switch seats. And there was a moment, look, I'm just being real with y'all. I mean, I'm a pastor on a mission trip, and I just had that Holy Spirit conviction. Y'all ever get the Holy Spirit conviction? If you don't, you're in trouble. Let me just say that. But if you're in Jesus, all right, if you believe, you're going to get the Holy Spirit conviction. And I had the Holy Spirit conviction. I was just like, oh, man. And I sensed that he, uh, God was speaking to me, RG, really? You don't want to make this sacrifice. I mean, are you going to begrudge this? I died for you. I gave my life for you. And you're going to, you're going to not be willing to be generous and sacrifice in the day to day. And so in that moment, I did what I thought was best. I took his money and switched seats. <laughs> and um, it, was a good, it was a good story. This morning, uh, I want to talk to you about um, following Jesus. And I do hope uh, that that 11-year-old girl that said good sermon maybe is not the only one, but likely she could be. But I pray today that you would be convicted. I, I, I pray today that you would let this sermon take root and possibly bear fruit. And here's what's um, good for me today as I, or this week as I wrote this and prayed for this. This is a message, I believe, that can change things for us. I really believe that it can change things for us. I said it at the 930, I say it to you now. I believe it can change and I'm just, I just anticipate that there is a somebody who will either be reminded or instructed in this and who will put it into practice and life will change. You see, to follow Jesus is to live a life of adventure. To follow Jesus is to be possessed with an awareness. And today, on October 21st, two days before my birthday, 2018, uh, I have been uh, increasingly possessed with an awareness of the world in which we live in. And it's been some young people that have been helping me learn because an old dog can learn new tricks. And to follow Jesus to, is to marvel at His Word and the beauty of His teachings and to 
desire to follow it into obedience, to possess an awareness. And in our world today, over half the population lives on less than $3 a day. Can I say that again? In our world today, over half the population lives on less than $3 a day. There are 28, an estimated 28 million people living in enslaved lives in slavery today. The average American has 250% more clothes, shoes, and electronics than they had one year ago. Before 1960, 95% of the clothes that we wore were made here in the U.S. Today, this past year, it's less than 3%. Globalization seemed like a great idea. It held these lofty dreams that we would outsource work in developing nations and we would get the same stuff, quality stuff, at cheaper prices and the economies other places would be stimulated and poor people would have work. And what we're learning in many ways is that the dream has become a nightmare. And depending on your political stripe, and this isn't a political stripe, what I'm telling you honestly is above my pay grade. I'll make it personal in just a moment. But some people on one side of the aisle, they blame multinational corporations and the free market capitalism. And other people blame governments overseas and bureaucratic corruption and rampant materialism and just old-fashioned greed. But what we're learning as we look at our world today is that it's not getting better and more and more people are getting enslaved and most of us, what we're wearing is made by women in Southeast Asia in terrible working conditions. To be a follower of Jesus is to live a life of adventure and generosity and to be possessed with an awareness of what's happening in the world today. To make it personal, to get, a, get away from what is above my pay grade and just to speak to you personally. The last couple of years, I have walked through our home. I have been in the garage and in the closet adjacent to the garage. I have been out back. I've been in rooms, particularly mine, particularly the master bedroom closet that has the phrase his on it. And I've looked at what I own and what I possessed. And I have been giving things away. I've been liquidating and saying, I don't need this. This time next year, I don't need to own 250% more of clothes, shoes, and electronics than I do today. Could it be that what Jesus said so long ago is true. Could it be true that having more stuff leads to more anxiety and stress and distraction and discontent and, oh, by the way, slavery and global poverty? Could that be true? And could it also be true that to live on less, we could be happier? What if what Jesus said is true so long ago, Luke 12, 15, life does not consist in abundance of possessions. I want to speak on something today. And I want to ask you seven questions about this one subject. And to introduce the subject, it's in Malachi chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. From the days of your fathers, you've turned aside from my statues and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? You are robbing me, yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? It's human condition to disassociate, isn't it? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse. For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. 
if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So this morning, I want to ask seven questions. The first question is, what is a tithe? It is amazing how few actually know. Last Sunday night, we had a great crowd in here of folks. Some of you were here, and we dedicated babies, a lot of babies. And I remember someone over here, just right here, someone had said something uh, about this very subject, and they, they said something kind of out of the side of their mouth. Well, nobody does that anymore. Nobody does that anymore. And I remember thinking, you know, that's on me. If they attend this church and feel like nobody does that anymore, or we're never talking about it, that's on me. Uh, Ten years ago, I stood at a church ten miles from here in a worship center. Um, They don't call it a sanctuary. Ours holds some 800 people. If we just packed them in one day, uh, the lower mezzanine, the balcony, including the choir, our best estimate is that 800 people could sit here. This sermon, particular Sunday morning, 10 years ago, I was in front of, it wasn't packed, but there were 2,350 seats, stadium-style seats in this church worship center. And I was able to say, I said to the people, look around, look at all these seats, the one you're sitting in, the one next to you, and look all around this glorious auditorium. There's 2,350 seats, and that's how many verses there are in Scripture about money. Everybody has got a money story. And no doubt, for a lot of us, it it hurts. It hurts to think about this. So I want to be super clear with you today. What is a tithe? Do you know? Does anybody know what a tithe is? We throw the word around fast and loose. When we throw a 20 in the offering plate or a 100 or some change, now that could be a tithe for some of you. But you know what a tithe is? It it comes from a Hebrew word that means one-tenth. It means 10%. Not 2 or 8 or even 9 or 9.9. It means 10%. And the tithe is an ancient practice. Now, we're going to get there because a lot of you think that's not for today. But the tithe is an ancient practice given by God, okay, as a fundamental concept that if we practice it, we will train our hearts to generosity. Now, a lot of you know this, but to do something that impacts the world, To do something where people stand up and take notice, maybe they applaud, they derive joy from it, they appreciate it, and they say, wow, that was special, you did this very well. For order that to happen, more times than not, that person, that woman or man that performed or executed something with skill and beauty, they trained to do what they did. You might have been home eating Twinkies on the couch watching Netflix, but they were training in order to do something spectacular. And what I want to say to you this morning is that God knows our hearts. Our hearts are to run and hide. Our, ha- our hearts are to confuse and complicate the vision that He's given and to turn our way, ourselves away from people. And God is saying, I have this fundamental practice instituted from old that will help you train your hearts to be generous. And it is this practice called the tithe. What is a tithe? It's 10%. What is a tithe? It's a fundamental concept that God gave from the beginning to train our hearts, all of our hearts, to generosity. The second question in the, in the seven questions, what do the Scriptures teach about tithing? We already saw one passage in Malachi 3. Here's another one in Leviticus 27. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees. Remember, this was a gregarian economy. They didn't have money like we have. We have multiple options uh, to bring our tithe to the storehouse. But there it was uh, grain and fruit, uh, cattle and herds, etc. All of this belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. So question number two, what does the Scripture say about tithing? Can I just say, it says a lot. 
And it says, hear me now, it says that it's not optional. It's a mandatory thing. What do you guys do that's mandatory? Anybody got any things that's just clear in life like it's mandatory? How many of you got to go to work tomorrow and be at a certain place at a certain time? If you're not, you either need to call ahead and let them know or you're in trouble, right? And they'll give you some grace. But there are some things that are just uh, mandatory. When I married into the Mamarian family, to beautiful Susan's family out there on the West Coast, uh, it was funny how busy they were and splintered they were and how traffic in Southern California would keep them apart. And so I instituted a joke. Her dad was the leader of the home, but I instituted a joke called mandatory family outing, where if we said we were going to do something, it was like, you know, mandatory. Let's all do it. It's not an optional thing. And the idea there, the heart behind it with a little bit of humor is that we would say, hey, you're important and this is important and let's all all say that it's important. We all can get out of it. We all can make it excuses why we're not going to do it. But this is not an optional thing. So scripture talks a lot about it and it doesn't leave it as an option. It doesn't say give if you feel like it. Or here's the biggest Christian cliche out there. Give if you feel led to give. It actually says, this is mine. Now in scripture, it talks about the tithe a lot. It says it's not optional. And it says it's very interesting language. That's what I love about the Bible. But you dig deeper and you find rich truths like this. It never says give your tithes. Just like Malachi 3.10, bring your tithe into the storehouse. It tells us in the Word, look at 2 Chronicles chapter 20. When the people of Israel heard these requirements, they responded generously by what? Bringing the first share of their grain, new wine, olive oil, honey, and all the produce of their fields. They what brought a large quantity of tithe, all, a tithe of all they produced. The people who had moved to Judah from Israel and the people of Judah themselves brought in the tithes of their cattle, sheep, goats, uh, and a tithe of things that had been dedicated to the Lord their God, and they piled them up in great heaps. That's a preacher's dream for the church. Like they just piled them up in great heaps. God, I pray when revival breaks out, people will sit on the front row and they'll pile up in great heaps with the tithes, bring into the storehouse. No one's laughing but me. But listen, Scripture says you bring your tithe. Why does it use that language? It's very precise each and every time. Because you ready for this? It's not yours. You're bringing what is not yours. God has laid claim to that. God has laid claim to a tenth of what He allows your hand to produce. And He says, bring it to me. All of our marriage... Most of my life, we have practiced this. Susan and I have practiced this very thing that we bring our tithes to the storehouse, to the spiritual house, to the local church. For us, of course, that's Fondren Church. And then we give offerings over and above that. We give offerings to Fondren for special gifts and things that we're trusting God for. And we give offerings to ministries, parachurch ministries, and other worthy causes. We bring our tithe. That's not ours and we give special offerings. Question one, what is the tithe? It's 10%, a fundamental concept introduced by God to train our hearts to generosity. Second, what does the scripture say about tithe? It says a lot about it. It's not optional. It's already God's, and we bring it to Him. The third question, I believe it is, what if I can't tithe? This is the question you've already been waiting for. What if I can't tithe? There's a Syracuse professor by the name of Arthur Brooks, He's done some great study on this very subject on philanthropy, giving, charitable giving in America. And he says that, listen to this, stark reality. Most Americans just don't give anything at all. They just don't give at all. 
And when those who don't give are asked, why don't you give? What do you think their answer is? Number one, far and away. Any guesses? They don't give because I can't afford to. I can't afford to give. And it's why God gives us this practice so that we could learn that He's greater than all than we ever think and imagine, and He can provide in ways that is serendipitous. It surprises us and delights us, and He can prove Himself to be true. And so, what if we can't afford to tithe? Let me for a moment speak to a younger generation, quite a few of you here in the 11 o'clock service. I want to challenge you because it's in your heart. It's in the heart of young people, college students and young adults, to change the world and save the planet. And let me say to you that if you're not careful, you're going to wake up one day and you're going to be old. Like, not even me old, like older than me old. And you're going to wake up and you're going to realize that you haven't given anything. That all your stuff has been kept and you've hoarded and acquired and you haven't given away. And oh, you're overwhelmed with life, you're loaded with debt, there's still a little iota, a little inkling deep inside your innermost being where you want to change the world and save the planet. But let me tell you something, if you ain't got any money, you're not able to save the world and change the planet. And you're going to want to be able to make a contribution, to see the ball move down the field, to see the chains loosened, to see oppressed people be set free, to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God, Daniel Wagner's sermon last Sunday on social justice. And you will not be able to because you have lived for you. It's kind of strange. It seems like every six months, I'm not sure if Tammy Sims is here today. She's uh, my assistant and she opens some of the mail that I get. And it's about, it seems like every six months, a couple of times a year, I'll get an anonymous letter from some random individual who writes me about the church being evil and I'm the per- I'm the perpetrator of this evil and that asking people for a tithe is a gross, um, terrible thing. And it makes you wonder their heart. It makes you wonder, it makes me wonder why they stay anonymous. I'm a pretty accessible guy. Call her and get an appointment. I'd love to talk to you. If it's you, just remember it's Pastor Appreciation Month. So you may want to write something. My birthday in two days, you may want to write something to balance that out. But why do people rail against this? Do you know why? Why do we rail against this idea that God instituted, okay? And every time I preach this sermon, um, not often, but when I do, it's easy for people to think that I want something from you. But the reality is God wants this for you. And He wants you to be trained in the habit of generosity. Look at it like this. When Scripture talks about the tithe, it always mentions it not as, um, as leftovers, but as first fruits. And so with that, I'll try this and try to do better in the 11 than I did in the earlier service. Um, there are, y'all help me count, there are, I hope, nine delicious red apples on the table. Is that right? Are y'all counting? Keep me honest. So here are nine red apples, and if you're listening online, here's a green apple. In fact, I'm going to switch places and put it here, left to right. I can't afford. What if I can't afford to tithe? Here's here's how we live and why most of us would say, I can't afford to tithe. Now, what God is asking for, the tithe is, is, as a friend of mine says, a pastor friend of mine on the West Coast, he says that the tithe is training wheels. 
It's not the ultimate destination. It's just the training wheels. The Tour de France, the Tour de France is a life of generosity where we look at the table and we see 10 apples, nine red juicy ones, and one green one, and we say, all 10 are God's. God, what do you want me to do with all 10? But the training wheels, what the Bible says when it talks about tithe, it says it's the first fruit. It's the first fruit. And so, in other words, we take the tithe 10% off the top. Is it getting warm in here? Does it make you nervous? Is this really hard to hear? This is crazy stuff. And the cool thing is, it's not me, okay? I'm, I can disassociate, all right? This is, kind of, this is God, all right? Not me. But God says this, off the top. And I would ask you today, are you willing? If it is not a part of your practice, are you willing? Our church, from the beginning, we take the tithe and we double it. 20% of the gifts that come into Fondren go to our dedicated, deserving partners that we're in strategic alliance with, fighting human trafficking in Cambodia, being involved in these local ministries, Red Door mentoring, all this. 20% that comes in goes out. So we want to be a church that inspires generosity where you see, as you look at our budget, I tell our finance team, our executive pastor, Nick Crawford, lead our church because I don't look at it. So if you come today and you want to give or begin giving, that's you and God. It's not like I don't look at giving. I don't want to look at giving because I want to be, I don't want to decide who I come visit in the hospital and stuff like that, right? I just don't, I don't want that on me. I just want to love all of you. So this is a, this is a, a vertical thing, okay? But I tell Nick and our finance team, lead with integrity, transparency, and generosity. Let's be a place where no one's getting rich. And we're, at, and what we're, taking what we're asking people to do, and we're doubling that so we can walk in integrity. And so are you, are you willing to give God this? Because he's given you this. And are you willing to give off the top? But here's what most of us do in America. Well, we got to have a house. You gotta have a car. You got a couple of kids. <laughs> they need braces. Soccer. You got a boat. Season tickets. Entertainment, travel, concerts. <laughs> I'm watching the clock. Before you know it, that's what we're attempting to give God. And as I chew my food thoroughly, that's not 10%, is it? I watered it down. I didn't trust him. Years ago, Susan and I stepped out in faith. We held hands and we prayed and we were scared. She was more scared than I was. We decided to step out in faith and start a new church. And we knew that we would be about four months from going away from a steady paycheck to nothing at all. And that scared us. We wanted to trust God. We felt like he was in this. And there was a little thing I put up in my room where God guides, he provides. Does anybody believe that? And that we would get out in front and trust him, that he would be a provider. 
Because every bite I took out of that apple, a lot of that stuff we have as well. We're raising three kids in this crazy world. And we're trusting God to be our provider. And we've seen Him provide. But early on, we thought, with the help of a few leaders, some of whom are still here leading, that we thought we would buy a car for a single mom. Because she needed a car and she was working three jobs to make ends meet. And God used us to provide this single mom with a car. We had tons of needs over in Dueling Hall. We didn't have a permanent home. We, were, we didn't have staff. But we decided as first fruit to give $10,000 one month to a church plant in Florida, a friend of ours that was planting a church. And it scared us to do that because we didn't have all that we felt like. Let's, let's hold on. Let's, let's accumulate. Let's get rich. Let's get established. And what? And then we'll give. But God says... This is what some of us are putting at the foot of the cross. And this is what some of us think is good enough for God. Some of us say, I'll give if I feel led to. I'll give if I'm able to. God, I will give you my leftovers. Can I say this morning, God doesn't take leftovers. God doesn't do leftovers. He wants from us and we practice what we preach, and we, we've been moving away from the training wheels a little further, trusting God as we give more than a tithe, more than 10%. And it is scary at times. Yes, it's scary. But it's in that that we find the adventure of generosity and living for Jesus is on point. And what He said is so true. So I can't afford, what about if I can't afford to tithe? Here's what I want to say this morning. And what I've learned from reputable research, secular research, Harvard, Stanford, reputable places, rich people don't give. Rich people certainly don't tithe. The, here are the numbers. Those who make $25,000 a year, on average, give away 7.7% of what they make. Those who make between $25,000 and $50,000 give away 4.8%. Those who make 50 to 75,000 give away 3.8%. Those who make from 75 to 100,000 give away 3%. Jump ahead a little bit, those who make 200,000 or more only give away 2.7%. So wait wait a second. I thought I thought we'd be a generous people. I thought we'd be our families and single I thought we'd be generous if we just had more apples, if we just made more more money. When I make more money, I'll give more away. Uh no. No. Not true. That is not true. And that's the country in which we live. And this how it grips our hearts and Jesus know that. Please don't push back on me. Don't push back on me. Listen to me. Jesus knows our hearts and He wants us to trust Him by just starting with 10% and making it first right off the top. And so it is this saying that I would say to you. Well, let me give you Proverbs back a second. Proverbs chapter 3. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. So I would say this. The best way to be able to afford to tithe is to begin to tithe. Question number four. Isn't tithing an Old Testament thing? 
Look what Scripture says in Deuteronomy. It says, give generously. This is not a legalistic thing, by the way. Look at this. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. They make Christmas movies about this. Then because of this, the Lord your God... I still have apple in my mouth. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. It never was intended to be a legalistic thing. It's a heart thing. Because you know what? Money... Is never about money. Money is always about trust. Can I say that again? Are you listening, young people? Money is never about money. Money is about trust. And for some of us, look, God intends us to see money as a tool, not a drug. A tool, something useful in His hands, not a drug that makes you high or low and everywhere in between. Not to ride that roller coaster, but it is a useful tool in His hands. Jesus came and He said this. This was His opportunity to go, ah, no more tithe. It's grace, man. Jesus. New Testament. It's all good. Don't worry about that 10% anymore. You're not going to find that verse. What sorrow awaits you, your teachers of the religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, medical marijuana, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Daniel's sermon last week. You should tithe, yes. Can I, how clear is that, by the way? You should tithe, yes. Here's Jesus. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. You're doing the former. He doesn't say stop doing the former in order to do the latter, because some of you know in your leadership and business management, the, the power of concentration is elimination. you got to get some things out of the way so that you can focus on what matters. And Jesus doesn't do that here. He says, you do the former, but don't do that to neglect the latter. So Jesus is saying, trust me in this. And the call of Jesus to be a New Testament follower of Jesus. And praise God, let me just say, and I've preached sermons where I've been more clear on this, but like civil law and ceremonial law in the Old Testament was time-bound. It was for a time and a place, and it's not for us today. Thank God we have Jesus, and that frees us to focus on one law, the law of love. But the law of love compels us to Sabbath rest. It compels us to a life of generosity. So here's the way I look at it. Paul would say this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the greatest stretch of Scripture on the resurrection. He said this, that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. He's the first fruits. Jesus Himself is God's gift to you. You will not find a better gift than Jesus. So I couldn't imagine, I played this out in my own life. I couldn't imagine answering to God one day and saying, you know, there was the tithe that you instituted in the Old Testament and there's scriptures and stories and promises where you proved yourself over and over again and heroes who followed the call and found that you are Jehovah Jireh, you are a good provider. And then we get to Jesus and we see the cross and we see uh, the death and the sacrifice and the love, the revolutionary love, the greatest figure in human history with the greatest event ever to happen. He rose from the dead and he gives every follower of him the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. But you know, you know, Jesus was the firstborn, the first fruit, but I'm gonna ratchet back my giving to, you know, five, six percent in the New Testament era. Could you imagine that? Like I just couldn't, I couldn't imagine that. And so the journey that I'm on, the journey that I'm inviting you on, is if you're not on the ladder to step on the ladder to say, I will trust God with the tithe. And can I say, and this is scary for some of you who are blessed. Some of you are really blessed. 
It could be a game changer in our church, in our community, if you were obedient in this, because you've been really blessed. We can trust Him in this regard. A couple more questions, super, super fast. What happens if I tithe? You will be blessed. This is not a prosperity gospel sermon. This is not an opportunity to say that you can manipulate God. He will not be deceived. You cannot trick God or move Him to make you get rich very quick. But you will be blessed. You will swim with the tides of the universe of generosity. Jesus said in Luke 6, Give and it will be given to you. And He didn't speak of scarcity. He spoke of abundance. Recently, I sat down with an older woman in our church and she told about her story. A couple of years ago, she came. She was not a giver. She began to give and her face was aglow with the story of giving, of being blessed. And she had some regrets. I wish I'd begun this journey of generosity earlier in my life. I did recently a funeral for a couple. Um, This man's father passed away and the couple sat with me bragging about their parents. And he said, you know, Robert, we didn't grow up with much, but I've never met finer people than my parents. Stop for a second. Parents. Who doesn't want your kids to say that about you? So let's stop for a second. This is no longer so much about giving, but what are your kids going to say about you? What are they going to say? So this family didn't have a lot of money, but he said... My dad loved my mom tenderly, and he led us to church all the time. And we sat together, and at least three times a week, we would sit around the dinner table, and we would be together. And I saw my parents give. I saw them practice generosity, and they didn't have much. But I look back and see, I am so glad that I grew up in a home like this. You'll be blessed if you give. Number six, what happens If I don't tithe, look at me. You know what's going to happen? According to Scripture, you'll be cursed. Now, this is the moment where attendance goes down, okay? For next week, it's not going to be good. If you feel sorry for me, bring some people. Probably never come back, but just make me feel better. But you'll be cursed. Now, cursed is a strong word, wouldn't you agree? But it shouldn't be a weird word. And this is what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean God cast a spell on you. Look at it this way. All right, speaking to the hearts in the room, look at it this way. Behavior has consequences. Behavior has consequences. In the Word, it says this, to a church that didn't have a lot, but they were extending their reach to an impoverished land to help poor people. And it said that if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. If you reap generously, sow generously, you will reap generously. I almost got that right, but you follow me. And that's God's promise. So God said, did you hear it earlier? If you don't give the first fruits off the top, you're robbing me. It's interesting. Listen to me for just a second. The word miserable, anybody miserable today? The word miserable comes from the word miser. You with me? And a miser is one who says, I, I'm not going to trust you, God. I'm going to clutch and clean because it's mine. There's no way. Oh, I'll get there. That cool sermon. He's not bad. Uh, you know, ate the apple and stuff. Okay, I'll get there one day when I, you know, when I land that deal or do this or get that job or whatever. And God is saying, start now and trust me in this. And you'll walk in His blessing. And God is saying, you rob me. And you rob you because the joy is in the giving. I have never met somebody said to me as a pastor, 
man, I, you know, we supported that missionary in Africa. Hey, we built those water wells over there. I gave $10,000. Man, I wish, wish I had that money back. I've never had someone take the tithe challenge and tell me they regret beginning generosity. Never once. But I've heard plenty of you, and I've experienced myself, where you bought something, you're like, oh, buyer's remorse. Did we need those tickets? Do I need to spend that much money on a team that's probably going to finish 500? Do I need to invest everything into this? Do I need to do that? I've had plenty of you give me a window into your soul and you regretted that buying decision because Jesus is right. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And it's an adventure where we raise our awareness. And there is one final question, number seven. What if I hear all this, but I'm scared, stressed, doubtful, freaked out? I'll say this as Shannon comes up. The Bible tells you not to test God. I'm telling you, don't test God. Jesus said, don't test God. But there is one exception. One exception to the test God. And you heard it today. He wants you to step out. And let me be clear as we close. The tithe is a hard number. Don't play that fast and loose. And are you willing to trust Him? Are you willing to say, God, I want to test you in this and see that you are my provider? Can I tell you today that He's a wonderful <laughs> provider? Can I stand here today and say, I've got financial struggle and strain. We have toil and trouble. We're wondering as we crunch numbers. But God has been so good time and time again to provide for us. And I'm glad we didn't wait. I'm glad we stepped out. And though hardship awaits and there's trouble, more trouble ahead, I believe that we're walking in His blessing by not robbing Him or robbing us. Would you stand with us?